0: Hello and welcome to BSI and to today's webinar, Talent Management and Career Development in BIM. My name is Charlotte Brody. I'm the Global Head of Marketing for the Built Environment at BSI and I'm going to be joined by two experts today, Raul Shah and Mike Stiglianu. Raoul Shah is our Client Director for EMEA Built Environment and brings with him direct experience from working for and with asset owners, main contractors, architects, engineers and manufacturers. With over 23 years of experience, he's held leadership roles responsible for driving digital transformation and leading on BIM strategy and implementing programs globally. And we also welcome Mike. Mike is our global training qualifications manager. Having worked in a range of awarding organisations, he's developed a profound knowledge of assessment, standards, curriculum and qualification design and delivery in both the academic and vocational sectors. And more recently, he's used this knowledge to promote and implement qualifications and educational products in overseas markets with a particular focus on the Middle East and Asia. And I'm really looking forward to welcoming you on today's session. So moving on, to explain a little bit about BSI, many of you will be familiar with us as the UK's national standards body and we have a strict governance around our business streams and are incorporated by Royal Charter. Our product portfolio is extensive and we support clients globally through standard shaping, whether this be British, international, publicly available specifications or bespoke standards and providing technical support and guidance from our knowledge solutions business. And we provide assurance, training and certification services to help clients around the world embed and demonstrate best practice through the adoption of standards and we also offer consultancy. Our purpose is inspiring trust for a more resilient world. We help to shape and guide innovation through improving and standardizing business processes, products and services to enable advancement. We are independent and free from any outside influences All profit is reinvested in bsi to help us to continue to support further change working constantly to serve industry and striving to find new ways and solutions that enable organizations to survive stabilize rebuild and be resilient and i'd like to share a little bit of information about our sector and the areas of focus You can see a simple graphic on the screen showing how we support clients across the entire breadth of the built environment asset lifecycle. And we are focusing on four key areas where clients may be facing challenges and where we can help. Digital transformation, regulatory health and safety, sustainability and supply chain and procurement. So moving on, here's today's agenda. Firstly, Mike is going to walk you through the first half of the agenda and we'll cover talent management, a route to achieving positive business outcomes. And he will explore how structured learning can support career development, talent retention and business success. And then Raul will look at using BIM to support the digitalisation of your business and improve efficiency. So thank you very much. And I will now hand over to Mike
1: Stiglianu. Good afternoon anybody uh, my name is Mike Stiglianu and I'm the Global Training Qualifications Manager here at BSI. Um, as Charlotte has outlined I would like to start by talking a little bit more about talent management and a strategy behind implementing the talent management uh, process uh, and then also looking at the importance of talent management but then deep diving a little bit more into the learning and development side of talent management and um, evaluating learning solutions that you can implement uh, to contribute to your overall talent management strategy. So let's begin. So there are many ways of um, defining a talent management strategy and there are various models and uh, iterations of the talent management lifecycle. And here is just one that uh, I've decided to use that I find is most accessible in terms of terminology. So life cycles can be customized so that they relate or they are unique to specific company cultures, uh, whilst others you'll find are more general and provide higher level guidance, but whichever way uh, an organization wishes to define it, in essence, the life cycle begins by identifying the first steps where a company engages with uh, prospective employees and continues through to show how these employees, once they've been hired and onboarded, move through the company so the life cycle continues as it outlines the next steps once they've been onboarded uh, the next steps in the employee's career progression so with all these steps strategically organized employee, employers can leverage the best use of their um, their own human capital to contribute to the realization of the higher level the wider organizational goals so amongst the primary challenges for recruiters Uh, include trying to match employees to jobs based on their ability to manage on-the-job responsibilities. But past this, there's also a challenge to understand what the employee is seeking through uh, compensation, reward, but also through ongoing investment in their own professional development. And this is where the lifecycle steps in and where organizations can map these challenges to identify where programs can be implemented for their employees. So we'll move on and just talk about the importance of implementing a uh, talent management strategy. So there's a wide range of important advantages to outline in terms of the benefits that a well-defined talent management strategy can bring. But I've decided to concentrate on a few that i found are the most applicable to those working in the BIM industry, having spoken to a range of people working in, in this industry, and those who are fed back as to what the main challenges they face when it comes to sourcing and managing BIM talent. <clears throat> so these are some of the important uh, points, uh, benefits of implementing talent management strategy. Firstly, building a high-performing workforce. Uh, talent, uh, uh, the implementation of a talent management strategy can contribute to building a high-performing workforce, but it's really important not to simply define this to mean It's the same as a group of high-performing individuals, but we need to think about this on a more organizational level. So positioning the right talent across a workforce and across a team uh, that work as a collective is the ultimate vehicle for efficiency and results. Attracting, securing, and retaining highly skilled employees. Now, clients have outlined that this is one of the biggest challenges within BIM. So strong talent management strategy will support recruitment of the most uh, talented or skilled suitably qualified employees available and that strategy in itself helps employers build their own organizational brand which works on its own to attract talent and as a result leads to increased business performance a well-structured onboarding process also is likely to lead to higher levels of retention and thus a reduction in long-term recruitment costs, uh, whereby you're replacing people who then uh, haven't been at the company for very long, or even performance management costs, so going through the performance management process, uh, gaining evidence uh, to use during the performance management process. Increasing organisational productivity and employee efficiency. So the top-level organizational strategy must be borne in mind when selecting employees. So a match between the two means that employee, the employee will work comfortably to organizational goals, thus reducing, again, any issues in performance. So further down the line, without a, without a well-defined talent management strategy, you may find that the uh, the journey of the employee is not quite relating to the organizational goals, but having one in place uh, allows the employee to identify themselves as that identify their own position within the organization, essentially as a cog in the organization, thus keeping them engaged, motivated and far more efficient. So addressing and filling talent gaps. So a talent management also assists organizations in identifying and preparing for gaps in talent and skills and encourages organizations to have a plan to address these. So it helps massively with succession planning. This means that should a gap arise, organizations can respond quickly uh, to fill those gaps, either internally or externally, but essentially reduces pressure on other employees or other areas of the business that need to pick up workload that's been left behind by um, leavers. So later on in the presentation, my colleague Rowell will explore some of these factors in more depth and with more explicit reference to BIM. But for now, I want to take a closer look at the uh, learning and development sector of talent management. So let's move on. So as you saw in the talent management lifecycle, one of the factors was learning and development, and this is what I want to explore in a little bit more detail. So learning, it can be divided into two very discrete categories, uh, structured learning and unstructured learning. But what do we mean by these terms? Uh, a structured way of learning essentially is a learning solution that has a very defined learning path with objectives, structure, or some sort of formal hierarchy, whereas unstructured learning, uh, as the name suggests, there is no formal structure to the learning, but is more trial and error, is more on-the-job, individualistic, uh, informal, it's a more informal way of learning. That said, it's very important here to understand that both an employee will experience both. Both are applicable to an employee, and unstructured learning and structured learning should coexist in harmony. An employee will adopt both during their time at a business, and both have their own advantages. But just to give you some examples of what uh, structured and unstructured learning are uh, so, structured learning could be um, any training program that has uh, that has multiple courses or modules, any course that has objectives or outcomes. Uh, it could be a qualification, it could be an academic or vocational qualification, it could even be a university course or a degree. Whereas unstructured learning could be uh, attending a webinar like we are today, uh, attending or speaking at conferences. Uh, peer-to-peer knowledge sharing, or even engaging with social media uh, with content that's relatable to the industry. And it's also quite worthwhile to note here that these examples can also be applied in a CPD setting. There are many programmes which designate, uh, which ask for employees to aggregate a certain number of minimum hours of CPD uh, to then become either qualified or certified. Uh, And the CPD is sometimes referred to as formal and informal CPD. But essentially, the same rule applies here, and the words that we're using for structured and unstructured learning can be used in place of formal and informal CPD. So there's no right or wrong approach here. Uh, Both are completely applicable. Um, It's usually the case when an employee is starting out at a business that structured learning really comes into play, as they need to be guided through a learning path so they can understand a certain topic to a certain level. Um, but further down the line, if you think of an employee who's been at a, uh, an organisation for a long time, um, the structured learning might start to start to ease off a little bit and unstructured learning in the form of research, in the form of um, uh, engaging with other people in the industry to advance their own knowledge might come into play. So you can see how they can coexist here, but might occur at different times in an employee's uh, time at an organisation. But what I want to do now is just focus even more in even more depth at the structured learning side of uh, talent management. So let's move on. So what what is the impact of structured learning on talent management? Well, with time, a performing employee organically builds and develops their own professional expertise. So with time, many years of an organisation, they become experts in their field through the acquisition of their own professional experience. However, there is still a requirement for the organization to identify areas of training or learning uh, that can ultimately um, complement or support the employee's development of expertise and can contribute to the overall professional development. Human capital needs organizational investment and reinvestment to support an employee's development, and a structured learning plan can certainly help with crafting a learning program specific to that employee so by evaluating the structure of the learning program that an organization is considering uh, it's possible to identify whether the learning responds directly to the business need so with so many different learning solutions out out there for organizations to choose from um, organizations need to be ready to be able to discriminate between the solutions and decide justifiably which the right which is the right solution for them and a structured learning program makes that much much easier as it will be clear what the objective of the learning programme is. This avoids the problem of enrolling employees on multiple courses in the hope that one of the courses, one or more of the courses, will eventually fill that skill skill gap. So structured learning solutions ensure that organisations can choose the right learning product for the employee in the very first instance. And furthermore, learning programmes with structured outcomes makes it easier for organisations to understand where, well, whether they are receiving a return on their investment, and if so, where. So we've understood how learning and development fits in with the wider talent management strategy. Organisations, like we've said, are presented with a huge range of learning solutions for their employees, but I would like to provide some hints and tips, maybe a little bit of insight into how best scrutinise these solutions uh, to ensure that you are choosing the most appropriate learning for your employees. And there are multiple ways to do this. And I first want to start by looking at learning outcomes. Let's move on. So learning outcomes. You may have seen this when selecting uh, training or uh, courses or any kind of learning solution but essentially what what are learning outcomes? Learning outcomes are statements that describe the knowledge or skills that delegates should acquire by the end of a particular course or training or assignment And they help delegates understand why that knowledge and those skills will be useful to them. They're designed by everybody who feeds into building a learning solution and all the supporting material that comes with it, and also the assessment that comes with it too. They're really important in that they help uh, a trainer or a tutor provide targeted feedback on a delegate's performance. They also help a delegate keep track of their own progress through through learning, Uh, but most useful of all They're so high level that they allow a delegate to communicate to others, either peers, management, uh, whoever, as to what they have learned through that, through their training, through their learning and what they can do. So like we said, learning outcomes are written at a very high level and provide a signpost to the main areas of learning. So we shouldn't be expecting learning outcomes to cover every single aspect that is uh, mentioned or featured in the course. They're usually presented in a way which outlines what the delegate will be able to do, and you can see here that it all begin uh, with, with a verb. So for this example, you know, at the end of the learning program, the learner will understand the importance of democracy, be able to describe the different forms of pre- uh, precipitation, be able to identify the trends in global population growth, multiple topics, and this is a very uh, strange training course if you look at the learning outcomes, but this is, for example, sake. But the main idea I want you to focus on here is just noting that all of these learning outcomes begin with a verb. So we'll revert back to this verb concept shortly. But now I want to just focus on the assessment side of things and look at assessment criteria, so if we move on. So for learning solutions that are underpinned by an assessment, assessment criteria form the basis upon which the assessment, be it an exam, be it a portfolio of evidence, uh, but the basis upon which any assessment is based or is built. With the learning outcomes firmly defined, as we saw in the previous slide, Assessment criteria are then expanded, they're created to measure to what extent the delegate has met the learning outcome. So assessment criteria provide delegates with information about the qualities, the characteristics and aspects of an assessment task that will be used to measure their attainment of each of the learning uh, learning outcomes. So much like the learning outcome, they can provide targeted feedback as to the delegate's performance in the assessment and show which areas of learning the delegate has performed well and not so well. But here we can see an example of the expanded learning outcomes uh, and the assessment criteria that have been created from those learning outcomes. And note again the use of the command verbs in the assessment criteria. Explain, outline, analyze, um, evaluate. Um, there, is a, there, is, there is a logical process behind the verbs used in learning outcomes and assessment criteria and I want to give you a bit more information about as to how these command verbs are chosen. So let's move on. And I can explain to you uh, how Bloom's Taxonomy comes into play here. So there is a logical system behind using verbs to define learning outcomes and assessment criteria, and it is called Bloom's Taxonomy. So those with experience in assessment and curriculum development will be familiar with this concept, but for those unfamiliar with this diagram, uh, the taxonomy is essentially a way of creating a hierarchy of cognitive skills. So from the least complex, so the lower order, remember, uh, to the most complex at create. And we'll, we'll look in, in a little bit more details as to what these words actually mean. But it uses an overarching verb to classify each level of skill. Because like I said, remember being the lowest order to create at the top. But if we dig a little deeper into each level, there, are multi, there, are multi, there is a multitude, excuse me, of other command verbs that you will find. So if we think about remember, um, you, will, you will come across verbs in the learning outcomes and assessments like list, outline, define, name, essentially asking delegates to recall information, one you know, one process to recall the information and then um, and then present it either in assessment or in a training, in a training course. But if we think about apply, which is slightly further up the taxonomy, you will experience verbs such as calculate or solve or demonstrate, which is asking more from the delegates, there's more of a requirement of more cognitive skills to get to the solution. But all the way to the top, if we look at evaluate or create, so for evaluate, you'll come across verbs like choose, support, justify, convince, um, which will ask delegates to critically analyze uh, the, the information that's presented to them and evaluate the best cause of action, for example, and create at the top, you might see verbs like, design, invent, create, compose, which is using the delegates what the delegate has learned to create something for, on their own, off their own back, from their own you know, experience and what they've learned. Um, so this is the way cognitive skills are, are, are classified, and if we move to the next uh, slide, we'll give a brief definition and an overview um, as to what these words actually mean on a higher level. So uh, remember, like I said, recalling information, understand, identifying examples of a given term, all the way up to create, which is a generation of new ideas or products. So when looking into training solutions, there is a lot of information to actually look at, which might not seem as as important on the surface. But look carefully at the learning outcomes and assessment criteria. The command words that are used can give you guidance as to the complexity of the learning and the expectations of the delegates. So rather than deep dive into all the command verbs that fall into each character uh, into each category, I think it, would, it was a, a little better to give a top level definition of each level of the taxonomy to better understand what cognitive skill we are testing at each level. So just to move on from the structured learning, I want to focus on the benefits to an organisation of choosing uh, learning solutions that are structured. Um, we can talk about organizational reputation, like we said earlier with the talent management strategy, um, investing in a structured learning pro- uh, program for your employees will ultimately lead to a, um, organizational the increase in organizational reputation as an investor in people. And that will then by extension lead to, you know, uh, better performance for your employees, which will ultimately lead to higher customer confidence and satisfaction. But also, um, Increasing an an organization's competitiveness and credibility when putting together a well-qualified and well-trained team to to pitch for business or to bid for tenders. But not only that, for organizations to increase their internal standards and set the bar. So let's move on. So here are some more uh, higher level uh, benefits to structured learning that could uh, um, that that relates to the employee. So increased motivation, they're engaged, they've been given a structured learning plan that's suited to their needs, employee loyalty, staff retention, reduction in recruitment costs, as we mentioned earlier, uh, more effective succession planning, the agility and capability of employees, and ultimately increased productivity and effectiveness. Move on. But what does that mean from an employee perspective? So acquiring a certification or qualification or going through training or going through some sort of structured learning plan also means joining a team of other people who are doing the same thing. So joining uh, a community of other learners with profound skills and experience in this field. So belonging to such a community provides a chance to receive career guidance as well as advice and support in uh, situations that relate to industry But not only that, uh, an expanded network can help, not only in a personal capacity, but in professional capacity in seeking out new business and business development. And we can also talk about uh, how uh, this keeps an employee uh, up to date with with changes in industry, as we'll see on the next slide. So structured learning is usually part of a wider learning timeline. It doesn't usually exist on its own. It forms part of, uh, uh, of a wider suite of learning solutions. So delegates can build upon their expertise and decide which direction they want their training to take uh, because it forms part of a structured process. And further down the line, you know, as they go through this process, they can specialize in certain areas of their, of their interest. And providers make sure that all new courses and programs respond to any changes in industry that are becoming more essential and provide an opportunity for delegates, for employees to gain a broader understanding of these areas. And what I want to talk uh, about next uh, very briefly is how qualifications can be used as a uh, as a tool for structured learning. So on the next slide, I'd like to uh, uh, talk about that in a little bit more detail. So qualifications in the vast majority of cases exist as a suite um, allowing a learner to move through the process and acquire different qualifications along the way. Uh, suite of qualifications will be underpinned by the subject content as we can see here with the standard underpinning these qualifications. But then can be classified by level in terms of the complexity of the content that is covered in each qualification, or by the breadth of the qualification, excuse me, in terms of the length of time it takes for delegates to acquire the knowledge and complete the assessment. But whichever way, they're created to form a learning pathway, which allows delegates to progress through a learning timeline from beginners or foundation all the way up to advanced and upper level qualifications or professional development programmes. So organisations can then select the starting point for their delegate, depending on the knowledge that has already been acquired or their experience in industry and get them started on their qualification journey. So if we move on, I just want to talk briefly about the qualification development process. Um, Qualifications, of course, a bit of an abstract idea, but it's really important to note the development work that goes into creating a qualification. So it's not just assessment experts that are aggregating content and putting assessments into place. Um, As part of the qualification development uh, process, uh, subject matter experts, consultants, organizations, delegates, employees, trainers, even governments are all consulted and their input fed into into the qualification development process. Also, where policy and regulation need to come into play, standards, things like this, these all feed back into the qualification development process. There are a multitude of entities coming into the qualification uh, process to ensure that that qualification is relevant and fit for purpose. And finally, I'd just like to uh, talk about um, how qualifications essentially are the bridge between theory and practice, as we'll see on the next slide. So given the large amount of input into qualifications for those in industry, as we've just seen, it's possible to say that qualifications, then they're not just a way for delegates to obtain knowledge, uh, but also a way for delegates to gain skills that they can apply in industry. So this feedback cycle between everybody involved in the development of qualifications uh, ensures that qualifications are up to date, they are relevant, and uh, they provide a, a springboard for delegates to learn, to progress and develop. So qualifications are working very, very hard to bridge the gap between theory and practice. So I hope this has given you some insight into the importance of implementing a talent management strategy, and also just a little bit of food for thought as to how you might go about refining the way you select learning solutions uh, for fulfilling the learning and development part of that strategy. And not only that, but even further, uh, to, uh, to give you some insight into, um, when addressing some of the challenges in talent management, that you have that's specific to the BIM industry. But for now, thank you very much for listening and I will now hand back to Charlotte, thank you.
0: Thank you, Mike. So lots of food for thought there. And uh, now we come to our first poll in the session. So I'll just ask for our poll to be launched. But we'd like to know with a, a BIM focus, of course, that's what our webinar is focusing on today, which of these present the biggest challenge uh, in your organization? So there are five options for you to select from. Um, if you are struggling to fill out the poll, then just step out of um, the, uh, the wide screen um, and uh, you should be able to uh, choose your answer. So. The options are um, BIM consistency and repeatability across projects um, or is it about securing staff with knowledge of application of the BIM standards Um, or do you find offering and signposting clear career paths are a a challenge for um, your staff who are involved with BIM or is it about differentiation when tendering for BIM projects or do you find that you're losing out on projects due to a lack of required BIN knowledge. So obviously, uh, we've made it a bit tricky for you because uh, we would like you to choose one answer. Obviously, there may be varying degrees of all of them, Um, but uh, we'd love for you to share your your thoughts and uh, looking forward to sharing the results with you very shortly. Um, Whilst I'm waiting for you, uh, just to reiterate that uh, today's webinar will be made available for you after, uh, after today's session. And also we have a handout, um, which is brand new, um, absolutely brand new for today's webinar. So you'll be the first people to receive your own copy. And these are essentially looking at our uh, training courses and um, some new qualifications. So have a look out for those. Okay, so I would like to ask for the results, please, if they could be shared and we'll see how, um, how everybody responded. So looks like um, securing staff with knowledge of the oh no sorry BIM consistency and repeatability across projects that is the highest response so that's really interesting and then followed by um, securing staff with the right levels of BIM knowledge and you know the application of um, the BIM standard so that is number two um, and then we've got some sort of close close second and third around offering or signposting clear career paths for BIM staff um, and then differentiation as well. So really interesting results. We, we do appreciate that you may be facing multiple challenges, but uh, thank you very much for sharing with those. Um, so without further ado, I'm now going to hand over to Raoul Shah, who will talk you through the application of BIM um, from a business perspective. Over to you, Raoul.
2: Thank you, Charlotte. Hello, everyone. Um, uh, as my colleague Mike just um, you know talked about the science and logic behind you know, the talent management is uh, incredibly uh, you know useful from the organization's point of you know how uh, you know the talent management can be leveraged to to not only look after your human capital but actually to to gain competitive advantage. Um, so so if we can begin, Charlotte please. Um, um, since this, uh, as Charlotte said, you know, our, today's webinar is all about applying those talent management and structural learning principle to the BIM skills in your business. So, but before we dive into that, what is BIM? BIM is about a collaborative way of working. It defines a set of processes to manage Produce and exchange information throughout the project lifecycle, including design, construction, commissioning, uh, and, and and into operation of building or infrastructure. So moving on, why BIM training? And 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 if we just reflect back on Mike's uh, some of the points, you know, through his uh, his presentation, previous presentation, you know, training, uh, it's it's two ways of training: structure learning and 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 unstructured learning. And, and I'm pretty sure you would have experienced this in in in, in the BIM uh, sphere as well. You know, how your staff or you yourself would have learned uh, sometimes unstructured as well as have some structured learning. But if we look at a BIM implementation at a business level, there are three key ingredients uh, that makes it uh, successful. Uh, obviously people being the biggest ingredient of all, you know, it's the people who need to own that beam implementation is the people who need to make it as part of their daily life or whatever their job function is and and need to have their job function specific beam input or engagement with the oral system so therefore it's very important to um, to to train people in various BIM skills and it was very uh, interesting to see the poll results, You know, the first poll results where people were struggling to get the consistency across projects uh, as well as um, you know, struggling to secure the right uh, BIM skills uh, uh, for the businesses. Uh, and when you think about training, BIM training, obviously the training uh, forms, you know, two parts of the training. One is process specific, and second is technology specific. You know, you need to have technology to produce, exchange information, validate information, and so forth. At today's webinar, we are going to primarily focus on process part of it, whereby you know, looking at the international standards and look at the roles that you play and how can you use those uh, uh, skills. Uh, to develop your own business specific workflows, business specific processes and procedures. So moving on, um, why BIM training though? Right and, and 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 the the first slide we looked at you know the, the people process and technology part of the overall change management and change implementation but also we must look at must look at the the drivers you know the external market drivers uh, look at the shifts that you know that our sector is going through uh, fundamental shifts in terms of um, industrializations you know uh, some disruptions around digitizing the products as well as processes even new materials. Uh, I look at the new methods of uh, uh, manufacturing such as 3d printing and, and other modern methods of construction and therefore new materials new ways of of building buildings and, and assets and, um, and it requires uh, not only attracting the best and the brightest in the industry but also uh, requires reskilling your current workforce um, moving on Just to summarize the principles and some of the things that my colleague Mike mentioned about uh, why training uh in, in, in business and, and, and structure learning and, and talent management relevant uh in, in your business. And if we put that in perspective of BIM, the first and foremost, as I mentioned, our sector is going through rapid digitalization now, like it or not, globally, to meet the you know the, the, the rapid urbanization demands and, and 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 climate change challenge. And BIM is is is, is an essential step towards the industry-wide digitalization. Hence, you know, we must look at the BIM, BIM training as part of your overall talent management and training strategy. The next one is, is talent attraction. As, is, and as my colleague Mike mentioned, talent attraction is, is an important part of the talent management process. How can you attract the best and the brightest? But not only that, how can we attract the digital natives, the next gen, into our industry? uh we have uh you know a reputation for our industry and we always struggle to attract the best and the brightest and the digital natives again you know um uh, going through the digitalization one of the one of the benefits that businesses could achieve is attracting digital natives um hence you know look at the BIM training as part of your tenant strategy reskilling current workforce as i already mentioned that you know we have a majority of the workforce have years and years of experience and how can you offer that that best of both worlds to your clients you know to your stakeholders so the years of experience as well as the digital uh, skill sets and digital way of delivering projects and in order to achieve that best of both worlds and offer that to your clients um, you must look at reskilling your current workforce as well in in some Uh, in in some areas uh, in in information management and digital way of delivering projects. Uh, The the next point is uh, talent retention, you know, and and Mike talked about talent management, talent retention, attraction uh, a lot, a great deal. So from BIM perspective, how does it look, you know, investing in your people motivates them to put simply, you know, motivates them to stay with you as simple as that so when employees see that the employers are investing in them you know in in terms of uh, upskilling them in various digital skills in the futuristic skills then it motivates them to stay with them they get that appreciation of um, investing in people the next one is career development and and uh, how can you provide that continuous professional development opportunity to your BIM skills and staff if you have a dedicated BIM, but not only the dedicated BIM team in your business, but also to various other job functions as well. And part of their roles, how can you integrate BIM skills as part of their continuous professional development also? So, and training, IC training is an essential part of that. And overall, as we saw in the poll results, the top challenge that most of the businesses are facing, not only in today's audience, but in the morning audience also, we had Uh, the similar challenges articulated and globally as we speak to other stakeholders and companies we are we are seeing the similar challenges in terms of getting that consistency and quality across the projects how can you get that and, and one way to do that is to scale your uh, workforce in various BIM skills, uh, you know, with, with equal importance, you know, at all levels, and not just the BIM team, but also your design managers, quality managers, safety managers, procurement, site manager, if you are within construction business. But that equally applies to your design consultancy business or whichever part of that, you know, project lifecycle you belong to. And that in turn then gives you better business outcomes in terms of consistency and quality across your project lifecycle. Moving on. So when it comes to process-specific beam training, what should you train them on? And, and we are fortunate uh, to have this ISO 1950, which was launched in December 2018. And, and and it defines clearly, you know, a certain set of functions and 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 therefore uh, expected some skills within the project stakeholders and when it, when when you talk about information management this particular standard international best practice iso 19650 when you talk about information management uh, it means two things organizing information and digitizing information so the first and foremost um think about how can we uh, organize information in a structured way using whatever the classifications and coding and and so forth? And then, how can we digitize the information? Moving on. Uh, as for ISO 19650, if if uh, if you're familiar with this standard, uh, there are three key roles uh, articulated in ISO 1960 series of standards. The first one being appointing party, so i.e. typically. Excuse me. Typically, your client or or asset owner, um, who owns the asset uh, that that you might be designing or operating or 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 constructing, so that's appointing party right at the top level. Uh, Then the second uh, uh, level of. uh, you know stakeholders I would call them is lead appointed parties uh, such as typically say during design phase there might be a lead designer coordinating all the design inputs and outputs um, from various stakeholders or it could be during main construction it could be a main contractor or general contractor uh, for instance Uh, or it could be on a large EPC contract it could be just the GC general contractor or main contractor doing design and build so that would be your lead appointed party and the, the third uh, role according to ISO 19650 is appointed party so anybody that's appointed on a, on a given project it, it falls under appointed party moving on so according to the standard and international best practice the appointing parties stroke client or a developer or, or asset owner uh, have uh, certain functions to obligations as well in order to implement this particular standard in a proper way an information management framework on a given project um, and these eight key functions are uh, outlined on the screen are very important for client organizations to actually implement um, throughout the project lifecycle. Some of them uh, needs to be done right at the beginning of the project, such as, you know, uh, establish simple things like, you know, the information requirements. So, you know, how are you going to procure um, the architects, the design consultants, the main contractors with what type of information requirements what do you need the digital asset the digital information and the milestones uh, also define you know what sort of legal protocols that uh, uh, you should I- incorporate within your procurement contracts um, one of the most important things also part of the client organization's functions is about capability and capacity assessment as well and and, and ensure that you know the stakeholders that you're append- appointing have appropriate capability as well as capacity to perform uh their duties moving on to to perform those functions there are certain skills expected uh, within the appoint appointing party you know businesses uh, with this client developer as i said and 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 some of these skills can be uh, learned on the job As Mike said, you know, unstructured learning, but some of these skills, you know, requires a proper structure learning as per the ISO 1960 framework. And hence, when you're thinking about if you're a client organization, you're thinking about, you know, the BIM training uh, for your own business, think about those functions and skills accordingly. Moving on. Next is a lead appointed party. Uh, just to reiterate, you know, lead appointed party could be during design phase a lead designer, uh, could be an architect, or could be a uh, an ME consultant depending on the type of the job, and and, and they have certain functions to perform as well uh, according to ISO 19650, such as you know cascading information requirements down, coordinating information production uh, across the team, uh, as well as uh, um, you know help uh decide how coordination issues are going to be resolved right so there, these are some of the functions that the lead appointed party uh is expected to perform and therefore moving on uh, these are minimum you know the skills that are, that are expected within the lead appointed party businesses uh, coordination management information management interface management generating their package or design scope specific information as well, uh, as well as uh, uh, interfacing with um, other design consultant if it is during the design phase or with other subcontractors and contractors if it is during construction. Um, So these are some of the skills expected of the lead appointed party and therefore uh, I keep going back to the planning of your BIM training for your business depending on the role you play you decide you know what sort of BIM skills and modules that that you should uh, have in your roadmap as part of talent management and training. Moving on and and the last but not the least appointed party function so any any uh, stakeholder that is not either you know that isn't a client or a lead appointed uh, party they're all appointed party according to ISO 19650. And these are some of the functions uh, that are expected of them uh, in terms of um, uh, implementing information management framework according to ISO 19650. And therefore, moving on, the skills that are expected of them are you know, interface management because they will be interfacing with other. So if you are say, for example, a, a, an MNE contractor Uh, on a given job and you are interfacing with the steel subcontractor or a cladding subcontractor or landscape contractor and so forth. So interface management. Um, You're obviously producing your own packet specific design scope specific uh, information as well Um, and you're also doing your task information management overall. So these are some of the skills expected of you as part of your appointed party obligations under ISO 19650. So moving on so what could the BIM training uh, uh, or skills development and therefore the roadmap could look like for your business? So always start with awareness, basic awareness and fundamentals, obviously. And then as the natural you know, step, next step, um, think about the role that you play in, in the entire project life cycle and, and, and think about what's the next module, is it the project design and delivery phase that you operate in or is it the asset management and facilities management and choose that, that, that module accordingly. So once you have that beam awareness you build your project delivery or asset management specific basics knowledge about the information management in the space then the next step you should think about once you know how to produce information in certain basic processes within project delivery or asset management, think about, okay, how can you, you know, exchange information, what are the, you know, the, the, the information schema and so forth, and think about as part of the BIM skills development and roadmap, think about that as the next natural step uh, in, in that roadmap skills development. The next step you should think about if you're into construction business and subcontracting business, uh, think about how can you leverage BIM skills uh, and integrate that with safety and enhance safety initiatives on sites in terms of improving safety planning, uh, training, and also managing safety issues on site as well through BIM interface. And last but not the least, think about a security-minded approach as well with BIM because it is all digital information obviously we need to be very careful about sensitive assets and you know and, and the information and ensure that you have the right processes implemented about the security uh, around BIM information and overall digital information to be honest so these are the key steps but let's not forget that you also building a uh, parallelly your pract- practical implementation experience with this you know alongside this structured learning and in learning about the information uh, management basics and 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 so forth so yeah the two need to go hand in hand what you learn obviously you need to implement that on 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 real uh, projects as well moving on the last but not the least in terms of the BIM skills roadmap is about assessment and uh, my colleague Mike um, uh, emphasized a lot in terms of assessment to me in, in practical terms, what I have seen working for architects and, and main contractors, we do uh, assessment at every stage of the project. Uh, believe it or not, so you know you have simple things like if you are a designer, you do you know you produce some drawings, deliverables, and you do the checking internally to ensure that it meets the client requirements. So that's kind of check, call it check or assessment. You know that's what we do. You apply for planning permission, and you know the, the the building regulations guy, the council guys, you know they check your design submission against the building regs, and and they give results based on that assessment. Uh, equally, it is very important for employers also to ensure that they're, that the learning that they are imparting onto their staff, and you know they're they're putting them through. That they're achieving certain uh, skills you know uh, consistently and therefore your target is to achieve that consistency and quality across all projects right and this is where I'm, I'm so pleased to uh, inform you that at BSI we have uh, uh, launched today the brand new uh, we call them BIM qualifications for it but think of them as assessing your learning you know assessing your staff's learning journey so once they build the fundamentals knowledge you know you can you can have that assessment so they have that confidence that they've achieved certain you know global benchmarking the skills and and so forth and you can go through all these milestones and achieve different you know qualifications such as project information practitioner professional or certified professional moving on if you are uh, if you are within the asset management portfolio and, and, and part of the project lifecycle, uh, then you can apply the similar principles and achieve you know uh, uh, these uh, skills in a gradual in an incremental way and 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 get your staff to validate or verify their skills as they as they as they continue to learn and build their skills in in bim and ultimately at the end you know you can go and apply for certified professional badge i would hate to say that as a badge but it's basically about verifying your practical implementation experience you learned all this theory you you started implementing it you achieved certain level and then you know how can i verify that you know i've got that practical experience of implementing that so you could do that as well uh, towards that that journey so i think overall i would like to summarize that you know the principles that mike talked about the talent management the structured learning uh, it applies to everything in life right uh, it's not just um, bim um, but um, I showed you that how you can apply those principles during the BIM skills development within your business, how can you leverage these assessment uh, processes to ensure that your staff at all levels are achieving the global benchmark in skills, call it qualification or not and then and then help them in their career development. So I hope that was useful and the thanks for your patience and patience and thanks for listening in. Thank you and over to my colleague Charlotte.
0: Thank you, Raúl, and uh, lots of lots of useful insight direct from Raúl's um, experience of working with industry. So, before we uh, come to our Q and A session. Um, I'd just like to share with you what your BIM journey could look like so that you can see where gaining the right level of BIM knowledge really can support your own BIM adoption. And we appreciate that people are at different stages, of course. Um, so if you haven't uh, at this point in time, a good place to start would be to take a look, read, digest, and get to grips with the BIM standards. Um, and there are a whole suite of these uh, designed to help organisations firstly under understand the whole journey from design to handover But this is also underpinned by specific standards which support the different stages um, from design and construction to um, BIM and health and safety and obviously information security, very important in the digital space. Um, And then we have our training courses, of course, and the qualifications which are now available, which we're very excited about and industry has been asking us for. Um, And ultimately, uh, we do work with a, a good number of clients around the world who look for the validation of the maturity of their own BIM processes within their organisation and the delivery of BIM projects. So you can see um, a a journey mapped out there for you. And moving on, Where to go for more information? Now, we're we're very keen that we uh, share as much as we can with you. Um, We do have a lot of resources that are available um, looking at BIM, uh, the standards themselves, of course, the training and the qualifications that we've been covering today and certification. And uh, a few weeks ago, Raoul and I ran another webinar, which is called, why is BIM good for your business? So we thought that would be, again, a helpful place to start for people who may be thinking at thinking about this and, and getting on board with it uh, and that webinar is available on demand so please do have a look for that. We also have our little book of BIM uh, which we update every, every time there's something new to say which uh, in recent uh, months and years has been around the introduction of the new international standards uh, but we also have a new um, training guide which walks you through um, exactly the the different courses which are available to you and of course our new qualifications and certified professional solutions for you as well. So before we start our our questions I can see that we've had a few that have come in today which is great Um, but I would just like to launch our our last poll um, because we're very keen to help and support um, when the time is right for you. And if you want information on any of the the options, then please do select. Um, It may be that you're right at the beginning and you would like to find out more about the BIM standards and our standard subscription services, or BIM training and qualifications for you or your supply chain, Um, a gap assessment, which we know clients find very helpful, uh, where we identify um, areas against the standards that you, you may have a gap um and of course certification where we validate your BIM processes at an organizational level and finally um, I'm pleased that Raoul is going to be joining me later on in the year for um, further webinars we've got lots of content lots of good insight that we want to share with you so please do sign up for those we hope you can join us so I'm just going to leave that poll on the screen now and then we'll we'll go in uh, to our Q&A session. Um, So it's your chance now to ask Mike and Raoul a question or two and I have got a few that have come in. So the first one um, that uh, I'd like to ask Raoul is um, we have a, a graduate scheme in our business. Um, with a clear roadmap of various training programs. Is it advisable to incorporate BIM training as part of this scheme? And if, we're, if so, um, what would you say is the best way to incorporate this?
2: Yeah, thanks Charlotte for asking this question. Uh, great question. Uh, um, the first part of the question, is it advisable to incorporate BIM training as part of graduate scheme? Short and simple answer, yes hundred percent I would highly recommend and the second part of the question how uh, it all depends on you know how you structured your graduate scheme to be honest with you and how long that is for is it like 12 months two years or three years my recommendation would be uh, depending on your uh, the role that you play in the the, the the asset life cycle whether you're a design consultant or a main contractor or a subcontractor or a or an asset Operator or a facilities manager, you decide which modules are relevant for your business and therefore the graduates and, and try and view them throughout the graduate training program with some gaps in between so that they have a nice learning, you know, roadmap and also they have uh, you know, and, and also try and incorporate the BIM we call them qualifications but some form of you know assessments as well as they go along the journey to ensure that you know they get that confidence in their learning as well that they're achieving that globally benchmark you know the skill set in bim so yeah thanks
0: lovely thank you and we now have a question in um from joe who says um do the bsi training courses focus mainly on theory or do they provide any practical experience in how to carry out tasks to produce documents, i.e. a BEP, um, which perhaps you could explain for our audience what a BEP is or how to host a CDE, common data environment or implement COBE. So I suppose that's the question about the the practical versus the theory.
2: Yeah, yeah, thanks Charlotte, I'll take that, Mike. Um, Absolutely, Joe, great question. Um, We do focus on not only the principles of ISO 1960 framework, but for instance, if you're taking, uh, you know, one of the masterclasses on say part two ISO 1960 part two, you would have, uh, uh, if I remember correctly, I think uh, six assignments to do uh, in a day which are like practical assignments, you know, 30 minutes each minimum uh, where you are given a problem. Say, for example, you mentioned BAP, BIM Execution Plan, uh, Would we give an assignment on, say, task, task information delivery plan. And then you go away and you build your task information delivery plan. I know 30 minutes isn't enough to do it, but it's just to apply the principles and do like a framework of the TIDP or master information delivery plan, and then come back and present to the whole group uh, of, of your colleagues, you know, who who are going through the training. So you, you're not only learning from your own uh, application of those principles, but also you're learning from others in the virtual classroom or physical classroom because they are all sharing their own practical experience of implementing the newly learned principles uh, on the go during training. So yeah, we, our training programs are very much focused on accelerated learning uh, uh, principles, whereby, uh, you know, we engage with the participant throughout the day and make sure that they are implementing, uh, you know, the newly learned principle as we go along the training program, rather than uh going through the death by powerpoint the whole day and then at the end we give you assignments where you are com- sort of brain is frozen so yeah so thank you
0: lovely we lovely. don't we, know we don't want anyone's brains to be frozen do we We need people to be engaged no. and really getting yeah. the most out of it absolutely yeah. um and a question from um uh, this is for mike actually um Mike, we have someone saying, should all training be assessed? Is an assessment always an examination? Are you okay to answer both both parts of that uh, question?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, not all training is assessed. Uh, it, there are multiple different types of training out there. Some may have an assessment at the end of it. Uh, I think we should just differentiate between the two terms as I know assessment features in other areas of BIM outside of the educational sphere. Um so the exam the assessment is essentially the process during which evidence of uh the learner being able to fulfill the uh learning outcome as we as we uh, explored earlier on in the presentation uh that's the process in which that evidence is gathered uh but the examination is a form of assessment it's a written form which does just that so it doesn't an assessment doesn't have to be an <clears throat> excuse me an exam it can be an observation a practical uh examination it can be uh a uh, portfolio of evidence that's uh, that's collated and then submitted, uh, so multiple forms. But, um, it depends when you're scrutinising that learning solution, whether you would like, as an organisation, you are seeking something that, that has uh, uh, the assessment process as part of it. So you do want to see justifiable evidence that after their training, there has been a process whereby the delegates' knowledge and understanding of what they've been taught has been tested uh it is an extra layer of of security in um in uh uh in the fact that you are more assured that that has been captured and you know you know where they've done well you know where they've done not so well uh, you know whether to then put them onto extra courses and assess them further down the line so it's completely at your discretion uh, but it does add an extra layer whereby the organization will have evidence as to whether the delegate has achieved or has not achieved or to what extent the delegate has achieved uh, has achieved the uh, the learning outcome it's completely at your discretion but always a, a handy way of uh, of just have getting hold of that evidence of their uh, of their understanding of what they've been taught
0: that's great thank you very much um, and uh, a question in from um, Atwell Milo um, what technology solutions do you provide training on I don't know uh, Raúl, would you like to answer that? Yeah. I know we're doing a lot of uh, training yeah. online now, aren't we? Yep,
2: yeah. I can answer that. So thanks, thanks for asking that question. Yeah, we use uh, we use Adobe solution um, online, Adobe Connect, you know, online solution uh, to do our virtual online training programs, whereby we split. You know, we have maximum of I think twelve uh, or so participants, and then throughout the day, as we go through the practical assignments. We split them into virtual rooms, they go away into the virtual rooms, they do their exercises, come back and present it back to the the wider group. So yeah, we use uh, Adobe uh, solutions for virtual online training for BIM.
0: Perfect. Thank you. Um, And I have another question for you, which um, uh, I've certainly come across when I've um, had conversations with clients, uh, essentially main contractors. We have um, our internal academy for various training needs, and we run our own BIM training programmes for our staff as part of this academy. Is it possible to align our internal BIM training so that our staff can receive BSI's qualifications? So, once they complete, you know, that their internal training, how does that then work with a BSI qualification?
2: Um, Yeah, again, thanks, Charlotte. And the short answer is yes, 100%. You can align and um, and align your internal BIM training programmes with our BIM qualifications, if you like. Uh, Also, uh, align your internal BIM training material. Um, with our accelerated accelerated learning principles, so the process would be us coming in and you know and engaging with you and reviewing your internal beam training material. Uh, as long as it meets our uh, quality standards and accelerated learning principles, uh, you're good to go. And then assessment is online anyway, so you know it has nothing to do with whether you take our BSI training or not. Uh, as long as it it uh, you, it, it meets uh, our BIM training uh, learning outcomes. Uh, it's absolutely fine for your staff to go for the BSI qualification through your own academy and achieve BSI badge.
0: Lovely, thank you. Um, and now we have a question which is around, um, again, a, a, a quite a common thing that we see where um, this uh, Person says we're a client organization and we usually hire consultants and contractors to deliver our assets, or we hire asset managers to manage our assets. Do we still need to train our technical staff in BIM skills? And if so, uh, please provide some guidance on what type of BIM training we should be giving to our staff. So, would you be able to um, answer that one, Raul?
2: Yeah, sure. Again, a great question. And you know, I'd just like to you know, um, a reference to uh, my slides early on. Um, you know, according to ISO 19500, we are we are fortunate to have you know clear sort of uh, um, you know roles and responsibilities articulated for client organizations. So if you're an asset owner, asset manager, for instance, um, look at the functions that you would be performing as per your procurement contracts and the countries that you operate in, obviously, and then the type of projects. And then and then decide you know what sort of sort of skills should I have uh, within my business. So it requires a little bit of sort of uh, you know the, the skill mapping uh, so to speak uh, at the beginning. And once you once you have that skill mapping done, and again we can help you with that. Once you have that uh, a training need analysis uh, established, and you know you know okay what sort of skills you should have in your in your business, then the next step would be to decide. You know based on the skills analysis you know which modules uh, out of um, you know the six key modules we have available are suitable for your business so first and foremost yeah skill mapping needs analysis and then decide which modules out of uh, six seven that we have available is suitable or you might want to you know come up with some sort of uh, we can work together and come up with some sort of bespoke uh, beam training module that is suitable for your business across the globe
0: lovely thank you and uh, we have had a a few other questions in um i think uh they're very specific um so we will be replying to those directly but thank you to everybody for um for sending your thoughts in Um, lots of food for thought there um so i would just now like to close that poll and essentially just to say to you all um we've reached the end of today's session Um, Thank you all for joining us. Uh, and thank you, Michael and Raoul, for your insight. Um, I hope that people have found this valuable and that there's lots of food for thought there and things to take away. Uh, but of course, very importantly, I'd like to thank you, our audience from all over the world for joining us today um, and that you have some solid steps to consider and to share with others in your organisation. So we hope that you can join us again soon. But thank you for joining us today. Goodbye.
2: Thank you, Charlotte.
0: Thank you.